Greetings, everyone. This is Pastor Mike. Thanks for joining me today. I'm here in my office with my Bible open to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we've been focusing over the last several episodes on the passage in Ephesians 5, which is all about husbands and wives playing their roles in this living drama called marriage in such a way so that their children and or anyone else who observes their relationship will be able to see in that relationship the purpose for which they themselves were ultimately created. That is, each of us were created to worship our Creator in an intimate, covenant relationship made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then experienced through the presence of the Holy Spirit who lives in us and gives us life. Now, it feels like I've been going back and forth and that first I'm talking about worship, then I'm talking about marriage, and then worship again. But this makes sense when we realize that to understand New Testament worship from a biblical perspective, we have to understand marriage from God's perspective and vice versa. The two are inextricably linked. They're connected. In fact, there are three Greek words that are translated in the New Testament as worship. And interestingly enough, those three words mirror the three directives that God gives to wives in Ephesians 5 as a picture of the church and how the church is to relate to God. What are those three things? It says, wives, submit to your husbands, respect your husbands, and then it describes how a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So intimacy, submission, reverence, and intimacy are the three best descriptors of New Testament worship. The Greek word proskuneo is the most used Greek word in the New Testament for worship. And it means literally to kiss toward. The word implies both affection and intimacy. This is the word used in John chapter 4 when Jesus says that the time has now come when those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. This brings us to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul shares this dynamic impact that worship has on our lives. And it says this, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate or behold the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This verse describes that transformation or a metamorphosis that takes place when we behold his glory with unveiled faces. God uses those times of intimacy to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. Now, what does it mean to be conformed to the image of God's son? Hebrews 1.3 says that the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So Jesus perfectly reflected his Father's glory. What did that look like? How did Jesus reflect God's glory? Did he glow? No. He reflected his Father's glory and how he loved people, how he touched them, how he healed them, how he taught them, how he lived his life before them. We're not going to glow, but we're going to love. We're going to touch people, heal, teach, 
and reflect his nature and how we navigate life. But you say, I can't do that. I can't love like Jesus loved. And that's true. Only Jesus can love like Jesus loved. But Jesus lives in me through the Holy Spirit. We don't imitate his glory. We reflect his glory. There's a big difference. And we are able to reflect his glory as we behold his glory. It's like the moon. The moon doesn't radiate light of its own. But what we see of the moon is the light of the sun being reflected to us. What we see is that part of the moon that is visible to us that is facing the sun. I become a reflector of his glory when I face the light. I have no glory, but I can be a reflector. How? By spending time in God's presence. A second New Testament word for worship is latruo, or reverence, to reverence or to pay homage. Our English word, worship, is taken from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning to give worth to. It's this idea of worthship. God is awesome, all-powerful, and holy. It is the person of God who is the measurement of what is good. God is perfect in all that he is and in all that he does. 1 John 1.5 says that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. This means that even though God has brought me into a close and intimate relationship with himself, I don't start my prayers, hey, buddy. You know, just to say that, it sounds so irreverent, and it's true. You know, my daughter doesn't call me Mike. It's just not respectful. It's just not proper. She calls me dad or daddy. Galatians 4.6 says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. Now the third word translated as worship in the New Testament is latria, which is a derivative of the previous word. This word describes the active living out of our worship. This word is found in Romans 12.1 that says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. The offering of ourselves in submission to God is a tangible expression of worship. We are to actually offer our bodies to him that he may live his life through us like a glove offering itself to a hand. It's the hand that animates the glove and makes it useful. To rightly understand this thing we call the Christian life is to understand that it's a life of substitution. God doesn't want to improve me. He wants to replace me. Jesus was my substitute on the cross. He died my death instead of me so that I could be redeemed. Jesus is also my substitute in life in that through the Holy Spirit in me, he lives the life that I was and am powerless to live in my flesh. Galatians 2.20 describes it beautifully where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, 
I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To offer myself to God is to relinquish my rights, to yield my rights, to use my own body for my own willful purposes, but to yield those rights to God. In studying Scripture, there's something called the rule of first mention. And what that is is that the first time a word or concept is mentioned in the Bible, it often gives us a fundamental or foundational insight into that word or concept. Now, the first time the word worship is used in the Bible is Genesis chapter 22. This is when Abraham was asked by God to sacrifice his son Isaac. When they arrive at Mount Moriah, Abraham said to his servants, Stay here while my, while my son and I go up to the mountain to worship and then come back. In this first mention of worship, you see Abraham submitting to God in faith in a most extreme circumstance. He doesn't know why God would ask him to sacrifice the child of promise, but submits to God's word, believing that even if God allows him to actually do it, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. You also see Isaac allowing himself to be laid on the altar as a sacrifice. Isaac was not a little boy at this time, but a young man who could have overpowered his 100-year-old dad. But Isaac also submitted to the point of laying on the altar as a living sacrifice. This gives us real insight into biblical worship and also sheds light on this picture that Paul is painting of a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12. And this also brings us full circle again. It's these same three expressions of worship, submission, reverence, intimacy, that are the same three things that are pictured in marriage by the wife as a picture of the church in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Then it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect or reverence her husband. So as a picture of our response, of the church's response to God's love, wives are to submit to their husbands as the head, respect their husbands, and then the two are to enjoy intimacy within this covenant relationship with one another, with the two becoming one flesh. Do you realize that a vital marriage with Christ at the center is God's most basic plan for evangelism and for passing down God's commands and values and an understanding of his character and love from one generation to the next? A child's strongest initial impression of who God is and how they are to relate to him comes from observing their parents. So many of the struggles that people have relating to God as adults come from the misconceptions they gained as children in relating to their parents. The two strongest messages a child should receive in observing their parents growing up is one, who God is in his love, character, faithfulness, and commitment as portrayed by their father. And secondly, how they are to relate to God 
in love, intimacy, reverence, and submission as portrayed by the child's mother. When these messages get twisted and distorted, each child, even if, even if they live in a Christian home, will struggle to reconcile in their own thinking those two most basic questions, who is God and how do I relate to him? Oh, that each of us would see today that we are ministers in our own homes. We've been promised both his presence and his power to fulfill the role he's given each one of us. Jesus is the third strand of the three-stranded rope that is not easily broken, spoken of by Solomon. Today, let's worship God intimately with unveiled faces that we might be transformed and then reflect God's glory, his nature. And let's worship God reverently that he would be honored above all And then let's worship God in full submission that we would find life by losing our lives and become people through whom streams of living water flow. Amen.